Again, I want to welcome you to Christ's Community. My name is Tom, and this morning we are beginning a new message series that I trust you are excited about. I am. Our whole teaching team is. Uh, it is through the book of Jeremiah, and we've entitled it, Life, a Task Too Big for Us. So before I begin this morning's message, I'd like to frame the historical context of this remarkable Old Testament book. So will you join with me? Maybe put on some imaginary sandals and walk across the sands of time 2,500 years ago in the footprints of biblical history. It is 627 B.C., that is, before the time of Christ. The ancient Middle Eastern world is churning in commotion. It is bursting in conflict and under the bloodshed of war. The two ancient Middle Eastern superpowers of the time in the north, Assyria, and in the south, Egypt, are continually vying for military and economic dominance. It is as if it is a big cat-and-mouse geopolitical game, and caught right in the middle of it is a small nation, a strategic nation in its geographical placement. Think of Boardwalk on Monopoly. That was Judah the most valuable piece of real estate in the world that connected these two superpowers. It is here where Jeremiah grew up. It is the nation he loved, and it is caught smack dab in the middle of this geopolitical power struggle. If that's not enough, Judah itself as a nation was eroding in moral and spiritual decay. And against this bleak backdrop, I want to welcome you to the world and book of Jeremiah. Watch. The book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom of southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn Israel about the severe consequences of breaking their covenant with God through their idolatry and injustice, and he even predicted that the empire of Babylon would come as God's servant to bring this judgment on Israel by destroying Jerusalem taking the people into exile. And sadly, his words became reality. Jeremiah lived through the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and witnessed the exile personally. Now, this book came into existence in a really interesting way. Chapter 36 tells us that after 20 years of Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, God called him to collect all of his sermons and poems and essays and commit them to writing, which Jeremiah did by employing a scribe named Baruch, who wrote down and compiled all of this material into a scroll. Now, Baruch also gathered lots of stories about Jeremiah, and he linked all the pieces together. And so this is why the book reads like an anthology, a collection of collections. It's all been arranged to present this prophet as a messenger of God's justice and grace. So welcome to the world of Jeremiah. It's a remarkable Old Testament book, and what is really unique about this book is the very autobiographical nature of it. The person of Jeremiah and his journey of faith is at the heart and center of this book, and it is a very difficult one. Eugene Peterson brilliantly describes this reality of the personal nature of this book, when he writes, Jeremiah's troubled life, I think we have this here, span one of the most troublesome periods in Hebrew history. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And Jeremiah was in the middle of it all. He was sticking it out, praying and preaching, suffering and striving, writing and believing. 
He lived through crushing storms of hostility and furies of bitter doubt. Every muscle in his body was stretched to the limit by fatigue. Every thought in his mind was subjected to questioning. Every feeling in his heart was put through the fires of ridicule. Although Jeremiah lived some 2,500 years ago, his life and world is not that much different than ours in the 21st century. For Jeremiah, the world was completely spinning out of control, and life was simply just too much for him. And if we are willing to be honest, isn't that how we feel in the moment in which we live? That life is just too big for us. That the world seems to be unraveling in front of our eyes. And like Jeremiah, we are confronted with a daily choice. It is a stark choice. We can either run and hide or we can roll up our sleeves and serve. We can seek a comfortable life or we can embrace what surely will be a difficult calling in our time. Following God's call, Jeremiah pursued a road less traveled. And throughout his pages, he inspires us to do the same. Welcome to the world of Jeremiah. Before we begin this morning's message, let's bow for a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, how powerful it is, how transforming it is, how timeless it is. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see for your glory and praise, our audience of one. Amen. As a pastor, a common question I am asked from young and old, in between, for those who are deeply committed to the Christian faith and those who are wrestling with it is this question. How do I know what I should do with my life? It is a very important question. And one of my favorite New York Times columnists, David Brooks, weighs weighs in on this recently in a wonderful article entitled, The Moral Bucket List. David Brooks addresses this question head on. He writes, Commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their passions. Be true to yourself. Brooks writes, this is a vision of life that begins with self and ends with self. But people, he writes, on the road to inner light do not find their vocations by asking, what do I want from life? They ask, What is life asking of me? David Brooks is onto something really important for you and me today. And that is that calling is much more about what is being asked of us than what we simply want to do. So let me ask you this question this morning What is being asked of you? If you brought a Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. It's right in the middle of the Old Testament. If you find Isaiah, it's close, okay? So join with me in this remarkable text. As we open the pages of Jeremiah, we are going to discover the text follows and gives us a sense of three truths about calling in this sequence. And I'm going to give them to you if you are arranging sort of the thoughts in your mind or on a piece of paper. Three truths about God's calling in our lives that are vital for you and me. First, the obstacles are too big. The obstacles are too big. 
But secondly, the task is too great. And then as we turn the corner in the crescendo of the end of these verses, we will find the third truth, and that is our God is bigger still. So our obstacles are too big, the task is too great, but our God is bigger still. Ready? Let's dive in. The book of Jeremiah begins with these words. Verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who are in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, doesn't that make you want to explore Jeremiah? At first glance, you're going, what? But let me assure you that this is really loaded with goodies. Jeremiah begins his book utilizing historical and autobiographical markers because he wants us to know something about his life. Right away, in the first verses of this inspired book, he wants all of us to know, his readers, that the world in which he lived is spinning out of control. And that his life is way too much for him. That life, as Jeremiah experiences it now, is simply overwhelming him. Jeremiah tells us in this beautiful opening that I'm sure now you're all engaged in with me. He's from a small little hick town north of Jerusalem, five to six miles, called Anahot. He was born into a priesthood family, and this is important to him because by the nature of his birth, we read now in verse 2, if you have your text open, he became a prophet by calling. And this phrase, the word of the Lord came to him, will mark the book. Now, Jeremiah's historical references point to a grave time. I've highlighted the external challenges, but we need to understand the internal challenges of God's covenant people. We know from the Old Testament books of Kings and Chronicles that the reigns of the last three kings of Judah, right, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, were really bleak, except for just a small period of time in Josiah's reign. What we need to realize is that the world in which Jeremiah lived externally and internally is imploding. It's unraveling. God's covenant people are in massive decline. And this is the moment where God calls Jeremiah. Now, if you want to read more of this, I encourage you, there's much more texture, uh, and it will help you in our whole series to look back to 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25. It'll give you much more of the spiritual decay and what's going on inside if you'd like to look this week. It'll help you as we launch through this series. But I want you to notice that Jeremiah ends his introduction in verse 3, and he showcases one of the most traumatic events in Israel's history. Think 9-11 in the United States on steroids. In 586b, actually it started in 606. So if you have your math, you know you go from 606 to 586. That is a long siege of Jerusalem by Babylon. Can you imagine the armies of Babylon surrounding Jerusalem? You imagine the deprivation, the siege, the destruction, the suffering, the starvation. You get a picture of what it was like. And finally, with the pillaging of the temple of Solomon. Now again, if you want to read more, Josephus, the Jewish historian, gives us lots of gory details. It's very tough reading. But in the antiquities of the Jews, we have a greater picture of what Jeremiah was experiencing. From the opening words of the book, 
Jeremiah wants all of us to know that the obstacles facing him and the nation he loved was absolutely overwhelming. And Jeremiah's fearful world, I believe, parallels our world today in stunning ways. Let me just give you my perspective. To me, and I've been a pastor for 28 years, been a marvelous privilege, the state of the world, the state of our nation, the overwhelming sense of people's own personal lives is greater than I've ever experienced as a pastor right now. Mental health professionals tell us across the scheme of things that anxiety is the common cold of our time. And I think it speaks loudly to how fearful we have become and how out of control our lives and the world seem to us. So let me ask you, what obstacles are facing you? What are those things that interrupt your sleep at night? What intractable problems are you dealing with? Maybe you are struggling with an addiction you just can't shake. Maybe it's a deep loss, overwhelming grief you have recently experienced. Maybe it's a frayed relationship with a parent, a dad or mom, with a spouse or family member or a close friend. And perhaps you are facing a no-win situation at school or in your workplace. And maybe the last time you looked at a news feed on your computer, an overwhelming sense of discouragement and hopelessness came over you like a suffocating cloud. Does life feel overwhelming to you? Then Jeremiah's inspired words are written just for you. Throughout biblical scholarship, Jeremiah of the Old Testament is known as the weeping prophet. But I want you to know as we walk through this brilliant book, you will be pleasantly surprised and encouraged how much hope they bring to overwhelmed lives and hearts and minds and bodies. The first truth we see as this beautiful book begins, tucked in this autobiographical and historical reality, is the obstacles Jeremiah faced were too much for him and the obstacles we face are too much for us. But secondly, notice as the text progresses, the second truth emerges. And that is that God's calling will mean that the tasks before us are too great. They're too great for us. Now notice in verses 4 through 6, Jeremiah highlights the massive, huge, humongous, can I say that without hyperbole? The humongous task set before him. Now think about this. If you read the Old Testament or the prophets, the Old Testament, there's something quite unusual going on here. Unlike many of the prophets who are called just to Judah or Israel, specifically Jeremiah says, I've been called to speak to the nations. So Jeremiah recounts the very words of God to him. Look at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated. That means to set you apart for a task. I appointed you as a prophet, notice, plural, to the nations. Notice with me how Jeremiah emphasizes God's sovereign and intimate intimacy and involvement in his life. Notice the phrases, I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you. Notice that God's word to Jeremiah 
emphasizes the primacy of relational intimacy. And here we also see a strong affirmation, unambiguous affirmation, of the sanctity of every human life. Embedded within the very words of God is Jeremiah's calling. His calling was in effect before his birth. In fact, the nuance is before his conception. And we must not miss the very words of God to Jeremiah and the moral implications they have on the ongoing holocaust of the unborn that continues in our nation. Here in verses 4 through 5, Jeremiah tethers his calling, and it is a massive task before him. But notice, it's not about his desire, but the sovereignty of God. Jeremiah is saying, friends, this is what is being asked of me. This is my historical calling. This is a defining moment in my life, and it will form the whole bedrock, the whole trajectory of the entire book of Jeremiah. Os Guinness, who is a friend of Christ's community, a wonderful thinker, wrote an outstanding book called The Call, Uncalling, and he echoes Jeremiah's experience. He writes with such clarity, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. Jeremiah's calling is not described with a lot of specificity. Do you notice that? When God calls us, we want to have all the details. In fact, the details are so minimal, you almost go, what? But there's a truth here. Because the primary focus is not the specificity of Jeremiah's call. Friends, it is the sufficiency of the caller. And like us, Jeremiah is first called to someone, then called to something in that order. And that task is way too big for him. And the task God calls you to is way big for you too. Notice in verses 4, or verse 6, Jeremiah's response, do you see that in God's call in his life? Verse 6, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am a youth. Or the idea is like a teenager or middle schooler, is the picture. The Hebrew text in which the English comes from has much more energy around this. English doesn't fully pick it up. There is a gut-wrenching emotion of Jeremiah and the overwhelming nature of it. Let me paraphrase it, can I? This is what Jeremiah is saying, the best of my understanding of the text. (sighs) Oh God, you have got to be kidding. (laughs) A prophet to the nations? The task is too big for me. A world stage? I'm just a small town hick. I have no experience speaking, no international diplomacy. There's one thing Jeremiah knows here. He is way out of his league. That's usually how God's calling works. I've had several 
instances is in my own life. But one that stands out to me that I will never forget is when Liz and I moved to Kansas City to begin Christ community. Shortly after we arrived, I received a phone call from my father-in-law, very astute businessman in Dallas. He had seen me go through the rigors of graduate school here in Israel, and he was like, okay, so you arrived in Kansas City. Where's your church? Where are the people? Tell me about it. I mean, it's nice of them. There's a pause, and I say, Dad, I don't have any people. A long pause. I don't have a church building. And I could hear, it's just like, this doesn't make any sense. And when we got off the phone, that was my sentiments exactly. It hit me like a freight train. I was just dissolved in tears. And the question was, what was I doing? The immensity of the task, my woeful inadequacy, absolutely left me broken to the core. only thing that kept me from throwing in the towel was getting on my knees and saying back to God, you called me. See, God's calling on our lives often involves overwhelming obstacles and a task way too big for us. So what is God asking of you? God may not be calling you to start a church. But his calling in your life, hear me carefully, is no less significant or important. Is he calling you now to take on a new job? A new season of your life? To reboot reboot your company? Or stay in an impossible work situation for longer? Is he calling you to volunteer for a nonprofit organization? Is he calling you now to become a new parent? Or to care for an aging parent? Or a new season in your life, like college or retirement? God may be calling you back to school or to pursue a graduate degree. Wherever God has you this morning, my sense is, my hunch is, is that it all may seem very overwhelming to you right now. We need to realize through the eyes of faith that we were never designed to live within the puny limits of our own human resources. If you feel over your head because you're in a difficult place or a difficult relationship, many times that's just the way it's supposed to be. This isn't to say we are to be foolish or unwise or overcommitted, but it is to say that God has built us to rely on Him. 
And he puts us often in places and relationships that invite us to rely on him. And when it comes to your calling, never confuse your competency with your adequacy. Well, we are stewards of a growing capacity in our vocation, whatever those vocations are. Our adequacy is a grace gift we receive each and every day as we apprentice our lives to Jesus and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, as we trek through it, you will notice Jeremiah's refrain refrain that our adequacy is in God alone. His constant care, his presence and protection are constantly there. And what we are going to see through this brilliant book is is a truth that is woven through the tapestry of God's inspiration. And this is the truth. Human obstacles and overwhelming tasks are simply God-sized opportunities. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, which Jeremiah knew well and Jesus knew well, and Jesus quotes Jeremiah, so it's an amazing connection here. There is an amazing story that Jeremiah is very aware of. In my hunch, it profoundly shaped the contours of his mind and his writings. The story is about 12 spies. You remember that? If you've read the Old Testament, Moses sends into the land of promise. 12 come back, 10 have the majority report, right? And two are the minority report. But the, the idea is that all agree the land is amazing. They even bring back some of the produce, you know? Great opportunities. But 10 of them look at the obstacles and the size of conquering the land overwhelmed them and they freak out in fear. They refuse to call, follow God's call and they will not go into the land and for 40 years an entire generation digs graves. They describe the giants in the land and they say these words, some of the most chilling words of the whole Testament. When we saw these giants, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Jeremiah's initial response to God's call is to say to God, God, I'm just a grasshopper. This is all just too much for me. But notice God's response to Jeremiah. I'm going to use a loose translation. God basically says, yep. Yep, you are just a little grasshopper, but I'm not. Jeremiah, what will guide your life? Grasshopper faith or God-sized faith? God's call will mean in your life and mine obstacles that are just too big for us. And it will mean tasks that are too great for us. But notice where this text goes that our God is bigger still. Look at me at verses 7 through 10. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth or a teenager, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and wherever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have 
set you this day over the nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. What God says here to an overwhelmed Jeremiah is something we dare not miss. God's calling on your life and my life is really much more about the caller than the call. God says to Jeremiah, I'm with you. I'll give you the words. It's not ultimately about you anyway. Jeremiah, it's about me. Remember who I am. Now, if you'll notice something in the midst of the text and the world that's spinning out of control, I want you to notice the end of verse 8 is a literary device that's translated in English, declares the Lord. You see that? This Hebrew phrase gives us a sense of a thunderous intensity that most of the language doesn't give us. There is a sense of overwhelming awe. Let me ask you a question, rhetorically. You can answer it if you want. Guess how many times this unique literary device phrase is in the entire book of Jeremiah. How many times does this little declares the Lord literary device there? 176 times. It is as if God repeatedly says to Jeremiah, when life is overwhelming and out of control, remember who I am. And this literary device is introduced here in verse 8, but notice in verse 9 that God also nudges him more and says, basically, here, I'm touching your mouth. Jeremiah is supernaturally empowered for his specific calling as a prophet to the nations, and you are too. Even though our callings are very down-to-earth and messy every day, every week, they have a supernatural origin and a supernatural empowerment. In other words, it's very important for us to see, and you will see this throughout the series, God is with whom he calls. And he empowers who he calls. God reassures Jeremiah over and over again of his empowering presence. But here in the opening, in chapter 1, it is primarily through his spoken word. The most important way God's presence is revealed to us, and it's revealed in different ways, but the most important is through Holy Scripture. God is saying to Jeremiah and to us, my word is there for you to guide you and for you to know my presence is with you. The psalmist in Psalm 119, a psalm devoted to the written text of Old Testament text, says this, your word, your spoken written word in the Old Testament, we'd say today, your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God reveals his comforting and guiding presence to us and through us to his word or from his word. I was reminded of this recently when I stopped at a hospital room to visit. And uh, a member of Christ's community is facing some really difficult times. And so after chatting a bit and, you know, I, I don't have any great words to say, you know, um, all I did is open up the scriptures. 
and I began to read a psalm. And as soon as I began to read the psalm, it was like the atmosphere in the room changed. Patches of God light pushed back the clouds of sadness, fear, pain. And through his holy word, God's presence and his comfort filled the room in a saturated way. I trust you've had that experience. I find it common. Not just in hospital rooms, but when you share it with a friend who's hurting, struggling, needs encouragement, you open God's word, and God's presence embraces you in an extraordinary way. God's constant presence is mediated powerfully through his word. His constant presence and his bedrock promises in and through Holy Scripture allow us to embrace his call with humble confidence and hopeful realism. So let me ask you, what is God asking you? What is God asking of you this morning? If you are struggling with discerning God's calling or direction in life, this question is important in all stages of life. The most important thing is to spend more time getting to know your caller. The more we know the caller, the more we sense and discern his still, small voice of direction. What I have found in my own journey is the better I know him, the closer I walk with him, the clearer his calling becomes. A couple of resources I want to recommend to you for further reading if you haven't. First of all, one of the finest books written in this area is The Call by Oz Guinness. If you've not, also in the book we wrote, Work Matters, we have a whole chapter devoted to the practical realities of guidance through God's calling in your life. And I encourage you, if you haven't taken advantage of these resources, do that. So let me assure you that whatever God calls you to do, whatever, there will be obstacles. And they will at times completely overwhelm you. There will be tasks that are too big for you. But wrap this around your heart and mind and your hands and your feet and every part of you. God is bigger still. Know that the God who calls you is with you and he will empower you. As we walk through the book of Jeremiah, we will sense the footprints of Jesus the Messiah all the way through this book. Jeremiah will look to the day when Emmanuel, God with us, will come to this earth. The Messiah who would usher in a new covenant and give us new hearts. And Jesus did come and he shed his blood on a cross that you and I might be forgiven of our sin and be given brand new creation life. Jesus, who would lay down his life on the cross, rose bodily from the grave and he calls you with his loving whisper, come follow me. Embrace my cross, take my yoke, and learn from me.
I am gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So have you said yes to his call? It won't be easy, but it will be glorious. For it is, it truly is, the road less traveled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That in the midst of very troubling times and difficult lives, May you bring comfort and peace and strength, for you are our rock. In Jesus' name, amen.